0: Welcome to Shorts, Season One. I'm Jen Thomas. I'm in London, UK. And I'm Lizzie Falconer, based in Atlanta, Georgia. We are two long distance friends who want to talk about what we're reading. This podcast is about how reading short stories can show the world through different perspectives.
1: Today we're reading Cat Person by Kristen Newpenian. You can read this story at newyorker.com. We've linked the story in the show notes, so please read it before listening. In this story, Margot, 20,
0: meets Robert at an art house cinema where she works. When he asks her for her number, she surprises herself by giving it to him and they start texting. We follow their story from texting to a date, which ends in their first and only night together. After very awkward sex, Margot doesn't want to see him again and her roommate sends him a message on her phone to tell him so. So Jen, what did you think of this
1: story? I've literally got my head in my hands. <laughs> this story was, to be it was completely extraordinary. I was hooked throughout um, but I felt so connected to the experience that Margot had that at times some of the descriptions I was like looking away from the from the page because I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. It felt very real to me. How about you? Yeah, I
0: I first read this story when it came out in 2017 and it's continued to haunt me since then. <laughs> there are just some things that this author captures in her descriptions of certain moments that just sent me right back to all these like uncomfortable moments in my 20s and in college. And I just thought, Oh God, why, you know, and even rereading (laughs) it a few years later, it's like, she's able to capture and put into words feelings and experiences that I think are quite universal for a lot of young people, especially young women.
1: Yeah, I really, I really agree. And I think that, um, some of her descriptions and some of the the moments that play out in the story feel like um, if like feel like something I could have I would have written myself if I had any such abilities. But I <laughs> but I I felt really connected with her. I felt like I've been Margot. I've been in this in these situations. I've I've lived it and um and and for that reason I was I was hooked the whole way through.
0: Yeah, there was also an extraordinary response to this short story. You know, The New Yorker publishes a short story every week, and uh, this one received a huge amount of interest on the internet uh, when it was released. And we can talk about that later. But I think that part of the reason it does that is because this short story evokes really strong emotions in the reader, and it definitely evokes them in me. So do you want to get into it?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I guess we should start where where they meet, right? So the first thing that we that we come across in the story is, um, so Robert, he is this guy. He's thirty. We find out he's thirty four. We don't know that at the beginning. He comes into this art house cinema where Margot works, and they uh, they're kind of flirting. um, As you know, she works at the concession stand, and they're flirting. They're talking about red vines, which I discovered. Uh, is a type of sweet, which I didn't know. Oh, you um, didn't know what red vines were. We, we don't have those uh, here. Um, but yeah, so so, and they're kind of flirting. And but the way she describes him right off the bat um, is really fascinating. Fascinating, I think. She says. He was tall, which she liked, and she could see the edge of a tattoo peeking out from beneath the rolled up sleeve of his shirt. But he was also on the heavy side. His beard was a little too long and his shoulders slumped forward slightly as though he were protecting something. And right off the bat, you think, oh, she's not, she's not into this guy at all. And she said that she describes that she's flirting with him because it stops her from being bored. Um, and so immediately we're set up with this situation where you think, are these, is she going to be into him? Is this what the story is going to be about these two? Um, and I, th- I think it's really unusual for that to be the hook for what ends up being a kind of quote unquote romantic, uh, story.
0: <laughs> yeah. He doesn't seem like a very compelling character, you know, uh, Margot's bored. He walks in, but he responds to her and and she kind of, he endears himself to her a little bit by asking for her number. He doesn't use her name. You know, he just demands things of her. Concession stand girl, give me your number.
1: And then she and gives it to him. and I was She like, does. And he even says she surprises herself by giving it to him. And I, you do think like, it's sometimes when you're on that, like when you're on the spot, sometimes, I don't know. It's like, is it just easier for her to give him the number rather than like, Kind of awkwardly say no. Like, what you know? What is it that compels her? It's certainly, she doesn't seem like she's that attracted to him. They haven't really had good like banter.
0: Um, yeah, Margot seems to make a lot of decisions throughout the story based on what is easiest for her in the moment mm. because she she doesn't really f- know another way. I think I also recognize being twenty, and for me at least, I didn't really know anything about dating, as if I know a lot about dating now. <laughs> it's kind of like sure this is happening like yeah all right what's gonna happen you're kind of you're kind of along for the ride and then they go on a ride of text messages which like truly is boring could be so boring right but she says from the small exchange about red vines over the next several weeks they built up an elaborate scaffolding of jokes via text riffs that unfolded and shifted so quickly that she sometimes had a hard time keeping up he was very clever and she found that she had to work to impress him. So oh, suddenly yeah. there's a game. Suddenly there's a back and forth. There's an and, interest and intrigue.
1: And it's so much more than when they met. I mean, when they, it's sort of the, the difference between the this kind of sharp, quick, witty banter that they get over text versus the sort of slightly awkward exchange that they have in the cinema is... Um, is it's so stark, this, the, the difference. And you do think, you know, like t- today, like now we are so caught up with this, like this is how we flirt. This is how we get to a point where we might have a date, like whether it's through an app or whether it's somebody you meet or whatever. It's this kind of, can I be funny on text? Can I impress this person? Can we have this kind of frisson um, only through text message? And they get there. She's like Mm -hmm. super into it by the time um, they actually end up kind of meeting. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's genius about Rupinian's
0: writing here is she's able to capture that Um, magnetic electricity that can happen between two people who are texting. And there's like the possibility of a date and there's a possibility of sex, right? You know, she says soon she noticed that when she texted him, he usually texted her back right away. But if she took more than a few hours to respond, his next message would always be short and wouldn't include a question. So it was up to her to reinitiate the conversation, which she always did. So he's playing a little bit of a game with her.
1: And they also, there's a moment, um, where they talk about it as if it's as if it's dancing, like this sense that you're completely in tune with someone and that you're you're moving with them or with the music and the sense that this kind of these texts and this exchange is like is 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 rhythm and it's kind of passion and it's and it's alive and it's physical. And then you realize it's just two people like <laughs> opposite ends of a city anyone who has been dating in the last 20 years uh, will be able to recognize. Yep. She's inferring all
0: these ideas about who Robert is and who she is to Robert based on this communication in these texts. I mean, it like, Brings a big well of anxiety just right up in me when I read this. Cause I remember like staring at my phone, being like, Was that funny? Did they understand? Like, oh, so depressing. We cover a lot of time in that short period. And uh, by the end of it, you know, they've built this scaffolding of jokes. Robert um, asks her to go on that date. It's, I'm saying date, quote unquote date. He takes her first, a slushy, a a (laughs) cherry slushy at 7 Eleven guys oh
1: gosh guys, um it's very str- <laughs> that's a very mm. I found that uh exchange really strange so they go from this kind of quick fire text and then he sort of demands of her that they that they meet and that all he's going to do is kind of buy her some red vines I think some kind of hark back to something that was funny you know weeks ago and then they have this sort of non-experience they don't Kiss at the end, or they. She thinks he's going to kiss her, and she's like, "Oh, I don't want him to." So she kind of pulls away, and then he kisses her on the head, and somehow that sort of shifts the dynamic. And by the time she walks back to her dorm, she says she's filled with a sparkly lightness that she recognizes as a sign of an incipient crush. So that somehow this kind of journey of this non-date, she's gone from like, "Oh, actually, it's not as funny as in real life." like in real life as it is on the text to always kind of kiss me on my head to now I think I have a crush on him. It's like, what happened? I've got whiplash from this weird date at the 7-Eleven. Yeah, her perspective of Robert changes
0: constantly based on little bits of information she's seeing. And every time she's having these in-person interactions with him, they're not good. Like they're Mm -hmm. patently not good. And she is doing this like kind of complicated ballet in her head about why he could be doing it or what could really be happening. I think, you know, she's, I don't, I, it's, it's interesting. And Robert, we don't know anything about him. We're getting all Margot's internal monologue and nothing about Robert, which is very, very interesting for the dynamic.
1: And it's interesting as well, because we don't know that much about Margot either like we don't get external perspectives on either of these people. We just get kind of Margot's viewpoint of Robert. And we, we, what we end up learning about Margot is mostly based on what she's reflecting to us about Robert. So it's, it's very hard to kind of get a rounded picture of either of these people. And I think that is also deliberate because it makes you, like you get into this sense of this sort of almost obsession that they have and that she has for this kind of version of Robert that she's been texting and the kind of excitement that you can feel. And and as you're saying, like that staring at the phone and the idea that you can create a fiction of someone or a version of someone or a version of an experience that you want to have, and it can become all consuming. And so giving that up feels huge. So when she meets him and she kind of has that strange moment at the 7-Eleven, she's like, I don't want to burst you know if I don't if I reject this guy then I also reject all the kind of experience I've been having with this guy I really like on on my text messages
0: yeah she wants to give it exactly she has a lot to lose it feels like yeah almost and or she feels like she has a lot to lose uh based on what she's built him up to be
1: and I don't think that that's a sign of any like I wouldn't I don't think that's a sign of any um, weakness or anything that Margot has done wrong. I I feel like what we're seeing there is a very accurate picture of what it can feel like when you have this kind of, as you're saying, the whole thing on the text messages is that everything's just a possibility. Everything's potential. And we are all geared to be excited about that. And we invest in that idea. And so I'm like, I'm really with Margot at this point. I, I feel very kind of... Um, yeah, I feel very much like I can identify with, with the experience that she's having.
0: Yeah. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he's nervous. We hear, we see her thinking all of those things. Mm. So then we get to the real kind of heart of the story, which is their date, uh, where the author makes us really sit with Margot second by second, it feels like, it feels like she is dragging us through the day. And I'm just like, Oh God, why, what is this gonna, you know? (laughs) And it's just so awkward, you know, it's, and it starts off so great
1: in the car ride. Honestly, I don't know what your experience was when you were reading this, but I was, when I was reading this section of them being in the car, I was like, I've been in this car. I've been Margot in this car. The, the, the sort of, first of all, that sort of intimacy and, you know, of being kind of alone suddenly in a space with someone in the in this car, someone that she doesn't know that well. And then she says, it seems like it's a bit awkward. Um, and she says, or what we hear is, um, as they got on the highway, it occurred to her that he could take her someplace and rape her and murder her. She hardly knew anything about him after all. And it's, that experience of being, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is a, only something that women can experience, but it's definitely something that I've experienced where you go, yeah, I, oh yeah, I'll go on a date with this guy. And then you realize you're in someone's car. You don't know where you're going. You don't know anything about them really. Like you've never met their friends. You don't know where they live. And you suddenly realize retrospectively that you're such, you're in such a vulnerable position. Um, and I found that really stark, really relatable.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm just nodding my head so vigorously (laughs) because absolutely. I found myself in this position, you know, where you're all of a sudden we you're all of a sudden realize that this could be really dangerous. And what's amazing is the dialogue that then we, we see both internally and then the dialogue she actually has, uh, with Robert as she's feeling this way. So she's just thought this thing, like, I could be murdered. He could murder and rape me. And then says, just as she thought this, he said, don't worry, I'm not going to murder you. (laughs) And she wondered if the discomfort in the car was her fault because she was acting jumpy and nervous, like the kind of girl who thought she was going to get murdered every time she went on a date.
1: Like the kind of girl, the kind of girl who thinks like, I just, there's something about that line that made me really think like, because that jumped out at me as well. I was I was thinking, is that like a youthful naivety? That sort of sense of like, oh, I shouldn't be the kind of person who values my own safety and security. <laughs> or, you know, it's just it it's so kind of it's so revealing, that vulnerability, that fear, that sense that she really has kind of pushed her self into a, an unsafe position. And then she's like, oh, I don't want to be seen as that kind of girl. And I think, I think that that just, that, you know, I think we've all, I think a lot of women can relate to this idea of not everybody, this, you know, I don't want to be seen as the girl who is scared, isn't funny, has, is a slut, doesn't want to sleep with someone, does want to sleep with someone. Just that sense of like, I shouldn't be the girl who just, yeah.
0: Honestly, this whole passage just made me think you couldn't pay me a million dollars to be 20 years old again. (laughs) I mean, I spent the majority of my twenties trying to be this cool girl, uh, you know, not like that kind of girl, which basically meant that I didn't want to have any needs or show any negative emotions to the people I was dating. TLDR. That didn't go too well for me. (laughs) Like, like I just, this idea that as a young woman, Everything is your fault. So she has this major fear that this guy could rape and murder her. And she knows it's kind of like bonkers, but it's there. And then she's like, oh, have I caused him discomfort?
1: Is this my fault? I don't want to be this type of girl. Like, look. And, and sort of on the same point later, just sort of later in that similar passage, she says um, maybe she had offended him by not seeming to take the date seriously enough when she turned up in leggings and a sweatshirt. So she is looking for these ways of kind of going, oh my goodness, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um, But he doesn't also seem to, or we, we certainly don't get anything from him that sort of, is a sense that he's trying to put her at ease or that he's even aware. So she's there with this inner monologue going, am I gonna get killed? Have I made him feel uncomfortable? Am I too nervous? Am I, have I dressed, haven't dressed well enough? And there's no sense that he is kind of looking out for, you know, checking in, that the person he's out with is, is like feeling okay. And even she sort of says, I think she like, she tries to start conversation and it doesn't go anywhere. And it just, the ho- it's just so awkward from both of them. You just think this is, I mean, this is a terrible date.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the starkness of like, they're texting, 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 words, 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 words through their phone. And then they're together and they have nothing to say to each other. Like we get all of her monologue. They're in the car. They're at this horrible <laughs> Holocaust movie that he's chosen. <laughs> He won't hold her hand. He doesn't touch her. You don't get the sense they're talking at all. When they are talking, they're being sarcastic. It's just like, get me out of here. (laughs) Right. But she doesn't, she She continues pushing it forward. And Robert seems stoked or something. I can't, actually, I don't know. I can't tell what he's feeling,
1: but they, it's interesting that it does, like, the monologue that we get is one of kind of, this is going badly. And everything we can infer is, as you're saying, get me out of here. But, uh, yeah, he asks, He she ends up kind of initiating that. So after the movie, they go, um, they go for drinks, uh, which, you know, they have the whole thing about how old she is and she gets ID'd for the bar because he hasn't realised that she's uh, underage um so there's all this kind of continued awkwardness and then they they're in a bar and they have a few drinks and then she sort of feels that um they loosen up a little bit they have their first kiss and she sort of realizes I think they start to kind of banter and she recognizes for the first time the witty person that she's had these texts with so there's some kind of loosening up I guess that happens by the by the time they're in the bar
0: yeah. And the loosening up seems to happen for two, for different reasons for both of them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Margo's getting drunker and he is too. I mean, he seems to be drinking too. They're both drinking, but Margot really notices that the drinking is loosening her up and that's what it's there for, right? Robert's loosening up and, and showing affection towards her is after he saw her cry, you know, outside of the first bar, he seems to like totally change when he sees her vulnerable and crying. And that's when he starts getting sweet with her. So they they loosen up, they have this kiss, and she's like, this is the worst kiss ever.
1: The description of the kiss is so bad. And I just, do you know what? I really felt for both of them. Um, I know. Because, I mean... I won't read the whole description because it's, it's very visceral. But she says it's a ter- it was a terrible kiss, shockingly bad. Margot had trouble believing that a grown man could possibly be so bad at kissing. It seemed awful, yet somehow it also gave her that tender feeling toward him again. The sense that even though he was older than her, she knew something he didn't
0: yeah I mean the power dynamics in this story keep changing yes. you know from who's texting back quick enough to like sometimes Robert's sarcasm as a way to kind of have control of the situation to her feeling tenderly towards him because she thinks maybe she knows something about him and we see that play out directly in I know, no, know neither of us want to go into this but this sex scene this endless sex scene
1: I think what Rupinian does in this story is is quite extraordinary in terms of the pacing. So we have this sense that like the texting goes on for a really long time, but actually we don't spend a lot of we don't dwell very long there. Um, we just kind of have a sense that it's going on for a long time because she kind of goes home for a break and then comes back, and you know the time is kind of contracted. But then when we're on the date and when we get back to his house, it's like. Time goes so slowly, we are getting blow by blow what happens in this story.
0: It's a nightmare. I mean, and she's pushing it forward. I mean, yeah, Robert is, he's not my favorite in any sense of the word, and he gets worse throughout the story. But she's the one who's like, should we get out of here? And when I was thinking about this, I was like, when I was younger, absolutely, I would just, sometimes you're just seeing where things go you're young and you're experimenting and you're seeing what's going to happen next and she just she does seem sometimes to be a little bit intoxicated on the control he she seems to have over him in moments
1: in in moments um yeah i would agree with that but i also feel like she's she, what we see through her is such a roller coaster like we see her feeling incredibly nervous and then any kind of validation from him and it she sort of shifts around again it makes it hard for us to understand (sighs) like whose side are we on who's in the right who's not in the right because the rug keeps getting pulled so I'm like oh Robert's not done something good oh but maybe Margot's kind of put herself forward and then oh no but he's done this and you just that's so smart because it's it's so at the heart of these issues around you know The issues around consent are are often so multi-layered and so complicated. And I think she's, she, her opinion takes us on that journey. She makes, she's, she makes sure we don't have a sure footing.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. And there's just so little conversation between the two of them, real, actual verbal words said to each other. And it's so hard to get a grip on how anyone's feeling, why anyone is doing what they're doing. So they managed to get back to Robert's house and we see her again have this burst of fear. And she says, and as though fear weren't quite ready to release its hold on her, she had the brief wild idea that maybe this was not a room at all, but a trap meant to lure her into the false belief that Robert was a normal person, a person like her, when in fact all the other rooms in the house were empty or full of horrors, corpses or kidnapped victims or chains.
1: It's just that Mm. vulnerability. It's just the same exact same experience that we have in the car. I'm going for it. This is good. I'm in control. Hold on. I could literally lose my life. I'm at the most vulnerable I could possibly be. And you just, that turns on a dime and you just, you know, again, I I like, I've been in that house. (laughs) I've been there. And you just think how you know, you're like 99% sure everything's gonna be fine. And then there's 1% of you that's like, but if it's not, nobody will know where I am. hmm yep. And it's this vulnerability
0: of Margot, who her vulnerability is like her physical safety. He mm-hmm. could kill me in the car, he could kill me here. Robert's vulnerability is his feelings you tell you can tell a lot of his actions it seems to me from the reading of it are based on not getting his feelings hurt and not revealing too much about himself and putting this like this this wall up of jokes and you know emojis and sarcasm because he's so afraid of getting his feelings hurt which he inevitably does
1: yeah and i th- but i think what's interesting and i don't know if you would agree with this but i think we learn that more like for after they have sex, we get this moment where after they've had sex and don't worry, we will come back to the detail of their sexual encounter. (laughs) But um, after they have sex, they have, he has this experience where he suddenly kind of opens up about his feelings. And, um, but I think at the moment that we, like, I think earlier in the story, it's really hard for us to understand if he's putting up a wall or if he's just kind of a bit of a dick. Cause he can't, or, or he's really shy or like, because he, we, we learn so little about him. It's really hard to see his motives because all we get is Margot questioning, questioning, questioning mm-hmm. about him because we don't have any external person saying, Hey, Robert's such a good guy. <laughs> he's just shy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we don't know anything
0: about him. So it's easy to project any experience we've had onto him can we let's get into it Yourself. Let's go.
1: okay all right the, the thing that really struck me i guess my takeaway from this is the same thing as when she kisses him for the first time it's none of it's described in a way that's sort of sexy or affectionate or fun or i mean i just i mean I, should we just read this this section yeah. really st- stuck with me yeah margot sat on the bed While Robert took off his shirt and unbuckled his pants, pulling them down to his ankles before realizing that he was still wearing his shoes and bending over to untie them. She's fully dressed. She's fully
0: dressed on the bed and he's just like, let's go. He's just like,
1: shirt off, trousers off, (laughs) shoes aren't even off yet. Let's go. Like, and the thing is like, when you're first, especially the first time you're with someone, like, of course, it's a muddle, It's a mess. You're not sure what's going on. Like these things happen. And there's a way that that can be funny. There's a way that that is affectionate. That's There's a way that it's part of the kind of sexy, like fun of being with somebody for the first time. But like, this is not how it is described. Like she describes it in a way that just makes you go, oh, that's, you know, and she, you know, then th- there's a moment where literally it, She said, Rupinian uses the phrase, Margot recoiled. Looking at him like that, so awkwardly bent, his belly thick and soft and covered with hair, she recoiled. I mean, that is just, there's nothing in this that she's enjoying. There's nothing in this that's sexy. And, you know, for me, obviously, and for the audience, the readers, we are just alarm bells here. Mm -hmm. And for Margot too,
0: hmm because there's nothing inherently wrong with like a thick belly that's soft and covered with hair, but she doesn't, she's not attracted to him. No. And there's no affection
1: between them. And, ooh. And the way that she feels, so just directly there, she says, the thought of what it would take to stop what she had set in motion was overwhelming. It would require an amount of tact and gentleness that she felt was impossible to summon. I don't know what you thought of that. Phrase that really, really struck me.
0: I think I thought, oh, there it is, something I've felt before. Of I'm in a situation that's gone too far that I didn't that I'm realizing now that I'm here, I really don't want to be in, but I don't know how to stop it. I don't know. And you know, what Rupinian says writes next is. It wasn't that she was scared he would try to force her to do something against her will, but that insisting that they stop now after everything she'd done to push this forward would make her seem spoiled and capricious as if she'd ordered something in a restaurant. And then once the food arrived, had changed her mind and sent it back. This is the idea of like being a cool girl again, or a good girl, or like she's trying to fit into this mold or she's,
1: yeah, I don't know. It's trying to fit into the mold and it's also having no understanding or experience of what to say. So just that idea of like, this is so awkward. I can't, like, I don't know how to be tactful enough or gentle enough to go back on this. And I think this brings up such an interesting point about what we are taught, about how to navigate these sex our sexual experiences and you know there's no language that we you know certainly I mean I don't know what it was like when you were at school but like when sex education is like for for our generation um and we're in our 30s was like this is what happens to make a baby this is how you don't make a baby that's kind of it there was no understanding of kind of I like I wasn't, nobody spoke to me about consent. Nobody spoke to me about how to talk about what was happening during a, a, like while I was having sex with someone, nobody taught me to ask or be asked, um, you know, if I want to kind of go on. So she just doesn't have the language here that she
0: needs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. She doesn't. She's in a situation where her again, her perspective and what she wants is changing and it's overwhelming and she doesn't have the tools to get herself out of it. Just have to touch on this image that was that really just shot me back right to 2007 when I was a freshman in college. Um, says there was a bottle of whiskey on his dresser and he took a swig from it, then handed it to her and kneeled down and opened his laptop. An action that confused her until she understood that he was putting on music. And there I am. Back in the dorms, it's like Napster. It's like someone's downloading yeah. Napster, you know. And it's like this man that you've just met at the cafeteria, you know, is about to play you Dave Matthews Band crash <laughs> into me, you know, or like what? Transatlanticism I- by Death Cab for
1: Cutie. What? I I love it, but like what?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like you're.
1: I'm just processing and processing. I mean, but like, what a detail, right? So we are just, you know, it's like, and also that just that act of observance. So Margot's just there, like, what is he doing? Why is he over there? What is, you know, and of course, like put music on, that's great. But there's no, again, there's just no communication. So she's there going, I mean, as soon as she said, like, reached down to the laptop, I was like, oh God, he's going to put porn on. Mm -hmm. There's you know, like that's that's kind of, you know, what is he about to do here? And just, there's a, there's no communication. There's no, like, hey, should we put music on? Like, hey, do you want some whiskey? It's like, he, he like, hands her the bottle. He goes to his laptop. He unbuckles his trousers before, like, Ugh. you know, before they're, like, making out. I mean, it's just, they're not in the same, uh they're not in the same universe. And that's what she, what's what we're being told. That's what Rupinian is telling us again and again, is just that these two people are having different versions of the same moment. And that's so clever. And then we see that throughout the whole story um, because of this kind of monologue that we get from Margot, but we are just in different worlds. And of course, this encounter finishes with him coming, her nowhere near, like, <laughs> we are just in completely different spaces and they just have a completely different reaction afterwards as well oh also just bro like you're
0: 34 get some speakers (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry but uh, can you imagine you're just like i don't know just tinny desktop (laughs) speakers from 2007 (laughs) is that what we're hearing no, just having a flashback. It's fine. Okay. So, so she's like, she tried to bludgeon her resistance into submission by taking a sip of whiskey. But when he fell on top of her with those huge sloppy kisses, et cetera, et cetera. And then it just keeps going. And you're just like, she's not interested. She, she is physically repulsed. She's trying to drink more to enjoy herself and it's not going well. He's, and she I
1: starts really feel for her in this, at this point, it is,
0: it's hard to read.
1: I think it's because we already understand that she's thought this isn't something I want to go ahead with, but I don't have the way of getting out. And there's a a line where she says she knew that her last chance of enjoying this encounter had disappeared, but that she would carry through with it until it was over. I mean, this has become something so... So far away from the possibilities, so far away from the joy, the fun, the excitement, the banter that we kind of were set up with, or that she was kind of holding on to, that it's 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 a chore. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. It's revolting. And I just, it's so clever the way that Rupinian gets us here because it's easy to say, you know well, she should have said something, or it's easy to say, well, he should have asked, but ultimately we just know that there's two people who have just got no communication between them whatsoever. And they're both hindered by that. And she's just, she's just trapped. And I just, I was just, you know, I just feel like so many women and to, to be honest, probably a lot of men have probably had this situation Um, where they just feel like, how did I get here? What am I doing? Is it easier just to go on? It's just easier to go on. I will carry through with it until it's over. Yeah.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, they've missed each other entirely at the end of what is a very bad sexual experience for Marco. Very bad. She wants to get out of there. He... He so misunderstood her that he asked her if she was a virgin, and she almost starts laughing because it's just like, what you know this this experience that she's having with him feels so unprecedented? You know it's just like then they have an awkward conversation about that. I mean, also it's just paragraphs and paragraphs Your opinion, it's forcing us to yeah. be with Margot during this time, and she says. I always thought this was really interesting. Uh, I'm going to read this sentence, but I wish I didn't have to. <laughs> at last, after a frantic, rapid burst, he shuddered, came, and collapsed on her like a tree falling, and crushed beneath him. She thought brightly, This is the worst decision I've ever made. And she marveled at herself for a while at the mystery of this person who just done this bizarre, inexplicable thing.
1: And <laughs> I just. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that as well is it encapsulates this sort of divorced kind of of out-of-body moment. You know, there's a way that um, this could have been described where we have her inner voice, which could have been a lot darker. That could have been like, I can't, you know, this thing has just happened to me. But actually she's so sort of aware of it throughout And this is what I think is really genius is the complexity of this is that she's so aware of it. She's sort of buoyed herself along with it. She's kind of cajoled herself into going, I'm just going to get through this. I can do this. I can do this. This is going to be better. Getting through this is better than trying to have this conversation. So I'm kind of okay with it. And then that just that sort of that word brightly, this is the worst life decision I've ever made. And you just think like, she's kind of, she's kind of okay with it she sort of made this decision and you think also what is the decision was it going ahead with the sex it's hard to know it could have been going on the date in the first place it could have been like giving her number to this Robert guy But it's like everything about this is like I just made a terrible call but I'm okay like wasn't that a strange decision that you made Margot but we're hearing it through her voice it's very very clever and funny it's really it's funny. funny i mean i was
0: listening to the author read the story again mm-hmm. prior to recording this and and then right after she thinks that robert like waddles back from the bathroom i'm sorry <laughs> and says what do you want to do now and she she thinks to herself we should probably just kill ourselves she
1: imagines saying I mean, and i laugh out loud and it's, it's, it's just, funny it's just it's Terrible. genius. It's genius mm. that it makes that it makes us laugh because you realize that it's not you know, it she's brought up all of these heavy hitting issues. We're thinking about consent. We're thinking about rape. We're thinking about power. We're thinking about um, safety. We're thinking about physical bodily vulnerability. We're, you know, and and she's making us laugh because Margot's just there going, "What the heck is happening?" And you just it's, it's incredibly smart because I feel like that's also the injection of this character of Margot, this 20 year old who's like, this guy doesn't know anything. What is going on? Oh, how have I ended up here? And you just, I'm just with her. And it's, it's, it's so smart because you think that is how for a lot of people, this, these, these experiences play out. There is a, you have to laugh at it in a way, even though you're like, this is a horrible, heinous thing that's just happened. It's, yeah. It's so
0: layered. It's so layered. I, I, yeah. yeah. And we see a distinct change in Margot's voice and attitude toward the situation here. Once she thinks, like, this is the worst experience, you know, this is the worst decision I've made in my life. You know, she's kind of she's no longer seeing him for his potential. So then the sex is over and then still they watch a movie together. And I'm just like, can Margot get out of there? But in this movie, all of a sudden, Robert starts sharing his feelings with her. And one of the things he says, like how much, you know, he talked about how hard it had been for him when she went away for a break, not knowing if she had an old high school boyfriend she might reconnect with back home. During these two weeks, it turned out an entire secret drama had played out in his head, one in which she'd left campus committed to him, to Robert, but at home had been drawn back to the high school guy who in Robert's mind was some kind of brutish, handsome jock. What?
1: Yeah, like where did that come from? But I also think you kind of you can then relate that you know she also created this fiction version of the two of them right and in his fictional version he's like they have this kind of relationship that that he gets to be jealous over and like at that point when you know the point that he's describing they hadn't even had the the 711 non date you know there's like he's he's gone so far in his imagination that they you realize they both had just developed these nonsensical, no way based on the truth versions of each other. And I like, again, that is a trap. I have been in that trap. It's. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, I have too. Yeah. And he says, I was so worried you might like make a bad decision and things would be different between us when you got back. Excuse (laughs) excuse (laughs) me. Things would be different between us. Oh, so we wouldn't have made up a complicated joke about our cats. We wouldn't have like, like they don't have an emotional relationship.
1: But isn't it interesting that that like this house of cards that we can create? And I do think, you know, this for me this whole thing is a, is is partly a kind of commentary on modern dating. I mean, the idea that there can be these you know, complicated Jo- like in jokes and narratives and jealousies and fictions that build up through these text messages, and when they actually come together, neither of them is really having a good time. They're awkwardly sitting in the car in silence. They're not kissing well. They're having bad sex. It's 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 really interesting that that you know how much we realise they've both invested in this potential because of these flurries of funny funny messages it's like there's no reality to grasp onto there's no genuine connection and it makes them not trust their their real instincts when they do meet i just
0: feel like the whole time i'm like oh you know so like he confesses his feelings for her then she finally stands up for what she actually wants you know and says i want to go home
1: pull the cord margot get out of there get out, gosh evacuate um and then he drives
0: her home and she says the drive was endless, you know? And you know that feeling of when you're like, this date is over. I don't want to see this person again. And you're just like trying to run away from it because you feel very In my uncomfortable. Head it's, like,
1: um, <laughs> it's like when somebody's like, I'll wait with you till the bus comes. <laughs> and you're like, the bus is just never going to so come. I wish this guy had left. Oh my God. It's 20 minutes till the next bus. <laughs>
0: I love this slide. I don't know why I really, I just love it so much (laughs) because he's finally gets her to the dorms, right? And he's like, she's like jumping out of the car and he's like, come here. He dragged her back, wrapped his arms around her and pushed his tongue down her throat one last time. Oh my God, when will it end? She asked the imaginary boyfriend, which she's been having this kind of internal monologue with, but the imaginary boyfriend didn't answer her.
1: Oh, there's also this, it's so strange, this sort of power dynamic again. And this like, you know, talk about talk about consent. Come here. And then the shoves. I mean, Robert. But she knows she's like, this is the last time I'm gonna
0: see this guy, right? She's yeah. like, just get, get this up, get over that. with. us. get out.
1: And then it's just the maybe- same. It's like the easiest path is just to allow this stuff to happen for her. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's the easiest path.
1: And then my favorite
0: line. Of, of the whole piece, maybe. And what has spawned me sending many text messages. It says, by the time she got to her room, she already had a text from him. No words, just hearts and faces with hard eyes. And for some reason, a dolphin.
1: <laughs> I'm dead. It's like the final nail in the coffin for Robert.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like before she'd even reached the room, like, bro, calm down. Also, they clearly just had, how did he read that situation? They just did not. Again, total disconnect.
1: The story ends with, um, you know, she completely loses any sense of knowing how to respond to this guy. That we get the dolphin text, and then she's like, "Okay, I have to text him to like basically break this off," and she can't find the words, and he keeps texting her, and it, it kind of escalates towards the end of the story in a in a way that's becomes really difficult to to read. So their complete communication breakdown becomes, um, uh, you know, like is then played out through text. We, we end the way that we began with him just texting and texting and texting and texting her and her not able to respond.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her communication, nobody's communication skills get better by the end of this story. I mean, she ghosts him and, uh, I, I can sympathize with that feeling because none of that experience you can tell that she, it was not a good sexual experience. She was not heard. She was not asked how she was felt. I mean, she made her mistakes too, but I understand being like, that was gross and horrible. And I left my body basically. And I don't want to have to revisit it. I just want out of the car. You know, I want out of this. So she doesn't respond, but the texts keep piling up and it's giving her anxiety. And also I've been the person before that's texting someone, not sure if they're going to respond back. So it's like, you can feel the anxiety between the two of them, but then Robert reveals his true
1: colors here at the end, Jen. I mean, this last section is very, I found this very hard to read.
0: I, she like sees him at a bar and her friends, she's told them kind of an exaggerated version of, of the story. Um, they kind of dramatically huddle around her and get her out of the bar. And he clearly sees her and then just sends her this string of text messages. Like first, hi Margo. I saw you at the bar. You look really pretty, blah, blah, blah. And then like, maybe I did something wrong. I miss you. And then it just devolves.
1: And he ends, I mean, he's basically like, why will not you, you know, why isn't she responding? You know, are you fucking that guy right now? Are you, are you, answer me. Whore. And I just, and that's the final word of the story. And we just, oh, it's it's such a loaded term, I think, to read that as a woman, especially if you are some, you know, this is someone who sort of slept with him as well. And it's just, the, it's the cruelest, most judgmental um, dagger to throw and Rupinian leaves it hanging in the air for Mar- for us and for Margot. It's his last try to kind of grasp at power. It's like the only means of the rejection has come because she must be um, someone who's like slept with lots of people. Like firstly, as if that would give him as if that matters, like uh, that's, it's you know, firstly, that would be completely irrelevant if that were the case. Secondly, we know that that's not the case because she explicitly, Rupinian tells us earlier how many women, how many uh, men Margot has slept with. It's slut shaming. It's, it's just, you know, this is, it's her fault. She must be loose. She must be easy. She must've fucked all these guys. It's just, it's really difficult to hear. Yeah, it's terrible. And like the story
0: leaves you feeling unsettled. And I've probably read this story like 24 times. I've read it a lot because it, I can't get it out of my head. And there's always something new that I find and I think about because Rupinion leaves things open for our own interpretation but wow is there a backlash to this story. So I'll, you know, I think Vox.com did a great explainer on this uh, that is called the uproar over the New York New Yorker short story cat person explained and we'll put that link as well in our show notes, but um, it the story went viral basically and blew up all over Twitter and Reddit. And this quote sums it up. As the story began to go viral, a series of narratives began to emerge around it. It was a good story. No, it was a bad story. And people who thought it was good had not read enough short stories. No, it was actu- actually was good. And people who thought it was not good were sexist. Margot's internal monologue about Robert's body constituted fat shaming. No, she was simply a good old fashioned, unlikable narrator. Robert was the villain. No, Robert was the hero. Wait, was cat person fiction or a nonfiction personal essay? It's just like people had really strong reactions to this. And there was actually someone created a Twitter handle called men react to cat person. And it was just retweets of men defending Robert um, and like hating on Margot, And, you know, like one person says, Some guys are bad at kissing and bad at relationships. Having sex very soon after meeting someone is usually not a good life decision, though. I mean, there was an immediate reaction to this story, especially from that kind of like alt-right men, men's rights group on the internet who felt like Robert was actually just a nice guy and Margot was the one who was taking advantage of him. Very interesting. What do you think about that, Jen?
1: What's interesting is I think we see we see in these stories the, we see ourselves in these stories, right? So I see myself mostly in Margot. And I think like through our discussion, we've been like, oh, I've been in the car. Oh my God, I've been on the date. Um, you know, but there are times where it's like, oh my God, I've been ghosted too. I've sent a string of messages. And then the next morning being like, what was I thinking? <laughs>
0: You know, it's interesting, too, because I think it touches on this idea of like what is good literature and what is good short stories? Because The New Yorker is known for printing really high quality stories. And although Kristen Rupinian is a white, I think, cis woman, um, she has more access and voice in the literary canon before what this Vox article brings up is how. A lot of the comments and backlash were on like the validity of her writing and this narrative. You know, one person writes after reading this article in quotes, this garbage post high school pap on the New Yorker website makes me realize that this is the new bland waspy direction this magazine is headed into that I'm never going to blah, blah, blah. This was horribly juvenile and conducted attempt at college life. And I'm going to assume Kristen, the author of this dreck is really only 18 and has read too much Judy Bloom in between fan erotica online. Like, whoa, that's, that's a real feeling. And Vox's response to that is, Our culture tends to consider the things that happen to men to be compelling, universal and worthy of literary attention. And the things that happen to women to be trivial, uninteresting and petty. So, Jen, with all that said, why do you think it's important to read this story?
1: I mean, firstly, because I think if anything is provoking that strength of reaction from people, then it's. Uh, it's obviously hitting some kind of human nerve. And I think that's what we've obviously found as well through our discussion. I think for me, it really lands, the story really lands some of the core questions and contradictions and complexities of the issue around consent and how how difficult it is for us to voice our feelings, to voice our needs, um, and to trust our instincts. Couldn't agree more. What about for you, Lizzie? What do you think? Why is this an important story to read? For me, this was the first story that I read that captured
0: what it feels like to do things like online dating or, you know, dating where your primary mode of communication is text. It captures some of these nuances, the games, the timing that often people don't make verbal, you know, you're not saying like, hello, please text me back in one hour or else I get anxious. Like nothing, you know, she, she is able to talk about how that communication can create these false senses of reality and the she calls out the the dreams and hopes you put on other people when you don't really have the full picture of information. And I just love that line about hearts, emojis, and the dolphin. It's so perfect how much they missed each other. So I think it's a great story on modern dating. Thank you for reading with me, Lizzie. Thanks for reading with me, Jen. The next story is The Great Indian Tea and Snakes by Kritika Pandey. You can find it on granta.com. You can find the links to all our stories at shortsthepodcast.com or by following Shorts the Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. See you next week.